everybody. Welcome to All The Things with Joel One. I am your host, Joel One, and today we're doing something a little bit different. As everybody who listens to this podcast knows, I'm a big enjoyer, lover of film in general, all kinds of movies, and I just thought maybe, you know, because Erin is here and she loves movies also, that we could break down some films. It doesn't have to be new, doesn't have to be old, just some movies that we watch, because we watch a lot of them. And that brings me to my guest today. I am joined by, once again, friend of the pod, Aaron Brock. Hey, hello. Thanks for having me again. How are you doing today? I'm well. So, so we've been uh, sheltering in place. Yes. And you've been enjoying it. Yes, I have. Like... I've waited my whole life for this. <laughs> this is this is my my jam. I am enjoying not going anywhere. I am enjoying not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So you're enjoying being at home. Yeah, but I'm not just being at home doing nothing. I'm doing things. I just think yeah, you're, I'm, you're working from home. I'm working from home. So yeah, I'm working a full full time job from home. And then on the weekends, we're staying active, cleaning, um, having social through, uh, what do you call it? Like telecommunication, social. Zoom, Zoom and uh, FaceTime. With, with family and friends. But I think there's just a different, the pressure of, of how you get ready every day. The pressure of after you're home, having to drive home and that you know, that's an extra 20 minutes a day that you're spending in the car. When you're off, you're just off and, and ready to go. Um, no pressure of then taking the two days of weekend that you have for yourself and going out to run errands or going shopping or going to, for social time with your friends for hours, which is all fun, but not having that and just having the, the me time and the you and me time, I think has been very refreshing and rejuvenating. I love it. Yeah, it's interesting how you can go from constantly moving, and, and by that I mean going to work, coming home from work, and then on the weekend going to see family or going to the movies or going somewhere, going on a trip, like just constantly moving, and then to have it all shut down and to just sort of reflect and enjoy the solitude or the uh, just the Simpler. quiet. Yeah, the, sim- the simple life. Yeah. Yeah. Well... With that being said, like I, like I said earlier in this pod, we're going to do a little bit something different. We're going to break down some movies. And one of the fun dynamics between the two of us that I enjoy is our complete sort of differences in opinions on what are good movies or what, <laughs> what movies we enjoy. I think a lot of times movies that Aaron has suggested to me that I've never seen, I will also admit to our, hey, yeah, these are good movies. I just haven't seen them, which is interesting to me, whereas... In my opinion, the movies that I think are good, a lot of times she doesn't even have enough interest to, to watch. Hey. <laughs> that, the, you don't think so? Uh, that's probably true, but painting me in a bad light here. <laughs> no, oh, I don't mean to. It's just a, a difference in, a, in a opinions, difference in philosophy, which is why I think this will be a fun pod. It'll be fun for me in preparing for these episodes just to try to figure out what movies to watch. Uh, so last night we determined we were going to watch Maleficent. 
we came to that because Aaron had never seen Maleficent 2, and that's what she wanted to watch. And I said, well, I've never seen Maleficent 1. So <laughs> we ended up watching both last night. And uh, you had seen Maleficent 1 before, right? Correct. But Maleficent 2 just came out last year, and we, we didn't go see it because you I hadn't seen the it. first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we missed that one. But they're, they're both out there. We watched them both last night, and I, I have come up with some questions and topics to discuss. And I think that's what we're going to get into today. So this is a new concept for all the things with Joel 1. And I've got my partner in crime, Aaron Brock, here to join me. Behind the Kiss. Behind the Magic. Sweet Aurora, I wish for you the gift of beauty. Behind the Legend of Sleeping Beauty. I too shall bestow a gift on the child. Lies the story of Maleficent. This summer... Aurora, there is an evil in this world, and I cannot keep you from it. Disney's greatest villain... ...comes to life. How wonderful. Maleficent. Okay, so here we go. The first film was just titled Maleficent. And to start off, let's have a quick description of the film. Aaron, describe this film for me. Okay, so Maleficent is the villain in the Disney classic Sleeping Beauty. This movie, Maleficent, is kind of her origin story. It begins with her as a child shows her growing up, where she's from, and then leads into why it was so devastating for her not to be brought or invited to Princess Aurora's christening, and then why she even put the curse on her to begin with, and then a little bit of the aftermath all the way into um, Aurora's curse being lifted from true love. Um, Yeah, I think it's the origin story. So to break it down a little deeper... She had a love affair or a lust affair, whatever you describe, puppy love with Stefan, who ended up becoming the king. And Stefan made it known early in the film that that was his goal. He wanted to make it to the castle. When when he was just a little peasant boy or farmer boy, whatever it was, he found the Moors and found Maleficent. But they, they built this love affair from years of just being together, started as a friendship and blossomed to more. And then he ultimately abandoned her, which that in itself, I think, would be enough for her to be kind of pissed off, you know, because teenage love and angst is is strong, I I feel. But uh, he did something worse when the king, not King Stefan, when the king before him wanted to destroy all of the fairies and the people on the moors, the magical people, which is sort of like the arrogance of man a little bit, you know, like they're the best, we're the best, no one can can beat us. He got upset because Maleficent basically outshined him and his army. And 
you know, he put out a bounty on Maleficent, basically, or basically said, if you, if someone can go get her head for me or go, go kill her, that they will be my new successor. So this guy, Stefan, who is her ex-boyfriend or her first love, whatever you want to say, he goes back to the Moors with the idea that he's going to warn her that, that there's a bounty on her, that, that the king is sending people to her. And she, because of their past, trusts him. I, I think, too, before, before you move on there, so you, you were saying to the Moors, the Moors are where Maleficent lives. This is the land of the Fae or the fairy land where that she is sworn to protect because she's the strongest of the fairies. And she's been doing this since she was a little, a little child. Um, and she did it on her own because her parents died. Mm-hmm. And um, the king, when she outshined him, it's because, like you said, he was trying to conquer more. It was about give me more. We want to take over that land and have it as ours. And so she was just doing her job to protect the land as she had sworn to do. So now her friend, fast forwarding to where you are, her friend is coming to warn her. Yeah. So he comes and he consoles her and they are there basically cuddling together. She's, you know, obviously distraught that there's people out to kill her, but she's got her friend here who's, you know, it's a nice comforting moment for her, I'm sure. And then this douchebag, he, what's he, poison her? He puts like a sleeping tonic or something in a drink that they have and she falls asleep. And then this guy, he pulls out his dagger. Like he's going to kill her. Like he's going to do it because he's so clouded in his mind of, of wanting royalty, wanting to be the king, that he's willing to basically kill his first love, his old friend, for no reason other than the ascension to power. And he can't even do it. He, he puts his dagger up and he can't, he's not, he can't do it. And what does he do? He does something in my mind that's even worse. He chops off her wings. He cuts them off, which is a horrible image, I think. It's just a, a downright dirty thing to do. Agreed. It was horrible. And he not only does that, he takes the wings back to the king and basically says, I got her. Here's her wings. You know, and he didn't get her. He just maimed her, which is, like I say, I think even perhaps worse than death. Uh, but, you know. Fast forward to the wrath of Maleficent. <laughs> yeah. Then she gets angry. Uh, and you get the, the story of uh, Sleeping Beauty. So that's, that's basically the plot. Aurora grows up with the fairies and Maleficent is watching from afar. Correct. And basically assisting in the growth of Aurora. And then... Yeah, she she starts referring to her as... um, Was it Beastie? Beastie, yeah. She calls her Beastie because she's really ugly. And she says things like, I hate you. Uh, (laughs) Which which is kind of funny. But but Maleficent, you know, she, she came from a place of protecting her creatures. And that's a place of warmth and kindness and love. So... As she's watching Aurora grow, she, like you said, she is aiding in the raising of her because the three fairies raising her are a little bit non, they're not aware. And so she kind of helps her. And I think you see some, some interesting behavior that you wouldn't expect from somebody that placed this horrible curse on a baby 
where she saves her life a couple of times and is kind of watching out for her. Yeah. And after that, you know, she's mentoring Aurora. And I think she even has some remorse about it. She tries to lift the curse at a certain point. But yeah. the uh, the magic gods or whatever basically tell her, nope, can't do it. Curses for life cannot be unbroken. And only way to do it is true love's kiss. And anyone who's seen Sleeping Beauty knows the rest of the story. She does end up pricking her finger on a magical spinning wheel and falling asleep. And there is a major difference, major plot point difference between Maleficent and Sleeping Beauty. Whereas Philip, the prince, he attempts to give her true love's kiss. It doesn't work. It doesn't wake her up. Maleficent, thinking that she's failed and that Aurora will be sleeping eternally, gives her a kiss on the cheek or the forehead. Forehead. Uh, and just like basically like, I'm sorry, farewell. And what happens? She wakes up. True love's kiss was the love of the, the godmother. Um, Which is what Maleficent came to be to her. Right. Um, so I would call it a major... Major plot difference from Sleeping Beauty, uh, which I guess leads me to my first question. Is this just a different perspective of that classic Disney film, or do you consider this an alternate version of the same tale? I, th- I think it is a different perspective. I think that there's two sides to every story, and this is the side of Maleficent, and I think that's what it was intended to be. And... Uh, you know, I think what we see in Sleeping Beauty, the cartoon where the prince is breaking through and everything's happening, I think that could just be one one version in the sense of how people remember or, you know, are said to remember in, in this timeline of, of events. It is a fairy tale, right? So it's been retold. Yeah. Perhaps exactly. some details are skewed. Skewed and changed. Yeah, I, I sort of agree. I think... You know, Disney's been making a lot of remakes of just the classic films and almost shot by shot. I think like The Lion King was almost identical to the original Lion King, whereas like Aladdin, they added, added some stuff. But this this is one of the earlier versions of that. And it's it's different. It's more, it's potentially an alternate version, but it's more of just a different perspective. It's like watching Snow White from the Wicked Queen's perspective instead. It's, it's Sleeping Beauty from the perspective of Maleficent. And even though the plot, I think, was a little different towards the end, it is, I think, just more or less telling you the origin of, of Maleficent and then hoisting you into the Sleeping Beauty story from Maleficent's perspective. So I have a, a deeper question now, and I don't know if it's a philosophical one or what, but why are parents always dead in Disney films? Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? It's not the truth in all the films. Like, obviously, some of the more modern ones, The Incredibles are all the whole family unit. But you think back to a lot of the films, Cinderella, you have Aladdin, who's uh, an orphan. Lion King ends up losing his dad. Like, Ariel doesn't have a mom. Like, there's, there's always a parent missing, it feels like. And Maleficent's no different. Yeah. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I feel... Well, I think that it could be that because that's what kids and, you know, Disney movies are are tailored to kids. I think, you know, we've said over the last 
what were you saying, 10 years or so. It's more family, but even in that family dynamic, kids are involved. So the messages and the stories are are meaningful and important to learn from, but also still need to be presented on a level that a, that a child can understand or follow. And not to say that a kid can understand having dead parents, but I think a kid can understand how that would be horrible or how that would be hard and they haven't been faced with the same um, tribulations or traumas that, that you go through by the time you reach adulthood. So I think that's kind of, a, relatable is not the right word, but understandable kind, yeah kind of an understandable loss it's, a, it's an easy problem for a kid to comprehend because they exactly they can think i got a mom and a dad but what if i didn't you know what would it, yeah that would be maybe the worst yeah. possible and they they probably even still don't understand it as fully but i think it is something that they can perceive as like oh that would not be good and life would be hard in in the ways they can process that you know so the fairies essentially were going to become Aurora's parents. She referred to them, I think, as aunties or aunts. Mm-hmm. Um, but my question is, why are the fairies such horrible babysitters? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't have, they really don't have a kid. They, I don't know. They, I think they're so, what we see when they're being horrible is that they're at each other's throats. They're really fixated on each other and being mischievous. Like I think we think uh, fairies and whimsical creatures are and, and they throw things at each other and play little tricks and jokes. And then they get caught up in that and lose track and lose sight of what Aurora is doing. Yeah. I think, I think that was a, an element of the cartoon also a little bit, but you didn't see Aurora, you know, falling off a cliff or getting into little mischievous sort of, non-parental moments but i think the fairies definitely bickered with each other in the cartoon and were trying to outdo each other constantly which is it's fun that they brought this into it and and i I think the element of them being horrible babysitters and maleficent sort of being the the fairy godmother watching from afar made that other side made this movie more interesting and more fun and you do get to see that Maleficent isn't just this evil witch who appears and does evil things like her perception in Sleeping Beauty is. But I just, I, I, I enjoyed that, that aspect of it. They didn't even focus on it that much, but there was a little montage of, you know, moments where Aurora was getting into trouble and Maleficent had to save the day uh, unbeknownst to the, the fairies. And my question that whole time was just, where are the fairies? <laughs> Why is Aurora off on her own doing this? She's a child. But that was funny to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would fun, say... What? Fun fun fact, when uh, the Aurora was a little one, so there's baby Aurora, then there's little toddler young child Aurora, and then there's young adult Aurora at 16, right? So there were three different characters, I believe, playing. The, the young toddler one is Angelina Jolie's actual daughter. Oh, really? Yeah, she brought her into the movie to, to play that role. Um, I think it was Vivian. Along with family relations, I didn't realize that uh, Aurora was played by Elle Fanning, who is, I believe, oh, yeah. part of the Dakota Fanning, the Dakota Fam- Fanning family tree. She is the younger sister of Dakota Fanning. Uh, it's a nice little acting family there. She looks like her. She does. She did have a. a I, I think Dakota. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to get into a. 
uh, description of of the looks, but I think we talked about how we didn't think Aurora was like like traditionally beautiful, beautiful like she was supposed to be based on the enchantments of the fairies. Yeah. But she's she's fine looking. She she to me looked like a normal girl. Yeah, she looked normal, which I think is also a great direction for. <laughs> also, I don't know what I've said already, but I think that's a great direction that Disney is going in making their princesses and the stories more achievable and attainable so they're not brainwashing the young woman of tomorrow into thinking that's what they have to hit to be beautiful she and by by no means was she not beautiful she was beautiful she just wasn't what we see in main day media as being your stereotypical beautiful woman but she was still fair-skinned she was still blonde um because that's the character right. and she had blue eyes uh but yeah she was beautiful just maybe in a slightly more attainable manner for your average child growing up so i was i was looking this up as we were talking you are correct vivian jolie pitt as aurora yeah that's interesting so that leads me into uh my next thought my next question Angelina Jolie is definitely the the mainstay, and I think she did a good job. Did you like her as Maleficent? Yeah, I think she did good. So other than her, who was your favorite character or performance in this film? I like, I think, I liked her sidekick, the raven. Um, Diaval. Diaval, I was going to say Vladimir. Yeah, Diaval. I liked him. She she switched him back from being a raven to being a human. And then I, think, I believe he was another couple animals in there. He was a wolf at one point. Yeah, yeah. He didn't like that. No. Uh, his He was played by a guy named Sam Riley, who I'm not familiar with. I'm not either. I don't recognize him from... From looking at his filmography, things. pretty much the only things of note that I can see are the Maleficent films. Mm. But I thought he was good. He had a good look to him. He, he sort of looked, I don't want to say emo or gothy because of his long hair and his dark, you know, uh, clothes and being a raven and whatnot. But, but he looked like a raven that was turned into a human. <laughs> yeah, it did. worked. It... He did. That's that's true. His his features yeah. sort of were raven-esque. And I, I would say for sure he's my pick in this little category too. Uh, Sam Riley as Diaval, the raven that is given human form by Maleficent. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so now we're into the tough questions. You ready? Yeah, I think. Is this movie good? <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah, that wasn't tough. No? No. It's a good movie. You would recommend it? I would. I don't know that I would go give raving reviews that it's the best movie of all times, but <laughs> I would definitely recommend it to people. It was enjoyable. It's fun to see the other side. And I really like the way... Disney is turning to, you know, empowering women. That's true. And I have some more thoughts on that on the next film. Hmm. But I would agree. It's a good movie. You would say I'm Disney obsessed, but <laughs> I have not seen all the Disney films, which is a, a life goal. I was, I'm pretty sure it's a goal of yours that you're working strongly towards. So, uh, so I was happy to, to watch these. And... I've, I've not even seen all of the live-action remakes, but I've seen a lot of the recent ones, but I did not see this when it came out, and I enjoyed it. I, I would definitely say this is a good movie. It, it's good with Disney values, and it wasn't too 
over the top, violent or, or negative, which is something we'll get into with the, the sequel. But I think, you know, it's, it was, it's a great Disney film, great, great film. I would definitely say the movie's good. Going back on the Disney theme, like you said, it's a good Disney theme. I think this, the overall moral of the story too, that kids can take away from this and that easy to understand and comprehend message is people make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes and you do things that you regret and it's about what you do and how you turn it around or how you fix it that makes the biggest impact. And I think that's a great message for children to take away from this, to see that, that she was, she did something bad, but that wasn't defining. I think that's a fine observation. That's, that's good. I think that's absolutely true. And we'll see in the sequel that sadly it maybe was defining, Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, but so yes, a scale of one to 10, one being the worst, 10 being the best. How would you rank this film? I'm going to give it an eight. Eight, that's a pretty solid number. It's, yeah, because I think it was a solid movie. I, I don't think it was a 9-10 best movie ever, but I do think it was an 8. For me, scale of 1 to 10, I'm, I, w- I was fishing around in the 8 river, but I'm, I'm going to go with a 7. Okay. I, I feel like... You just can't, can't match me. <laughs> right. No, I can match you just fine. But I... I I enjoyed it. I think it was a fun movie, definitely watchable, definitely a good message. But I don't know. It didn't. Uh, it didn't, you know, rivet me or, or make me like really ponder life. <laughs> or but do Disney movies usually do that? A, a lot of them do. They make uh, you ponder life. Yeah. Ex- okay. What is our existence about? No, I, I think I think there are movies that Disney have have has made recently more recently and this is probably one of them where you get more stuff like that and a lot of the old disney movies are more fluff i guess uh more childlike uh but yes seven for me definitely solid film so after maleficent one we fired up disney plus and we partook in maleficent it's called Maleficent Mistress of Evil. It's not called Maleficent 2, but that's what I've been referring to it as, Maleficent 2. Five years ago, I thought I lost you forever. There is no curse that could ever tear me away from you. Will you marry me? Yes. They say that love can conquer all. From curses big to curses small. Maleficent is a threat to everyone. There are many who prey on the innocent. I'm sure your kind would agree. My kind. She means humans. Start the music. But not every story turns out well. Maleficent doesn't know what she's up against. Well, well. For evil casts a lasting spell. Everyone has a weakness. Oh dear. Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, rated PG. Get tickets now. How would you describe this film? Good, also. <laughs> like a plot description? Yeah, yeah. Give, give me a plot or give me a rundown of the description of the film. Okay, so Maleficent 2 takes place five years later. So we learned, they actually got this out of the way in the 
probably the first or second scene where I've known you for five years because we knew the first one took place when Aurora was 16. This means they're 21 now. And the they in this is her and Philip. Her and Philip seemed to have developed a relationship after the last movie where they're dating. I feel like it's a known dating, but it could be secret dating too. I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel like it was known. You feel like it was known? Yeah. Okay, probably you're right. Uh, but they're 21. So a more appropriate age to be potentially falling in love. Um, and the 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 moors are protected for the time being. Um, well, we didn't say at the end of the last one, Maleficent actually crowned Aurora as queen of the moors. That's right. That's a big plot point I missed. We missed. We missed that. So, yeah, they they fell in love as sort of a stepmother, um, godmother, and daughter role. And she saw how pure of heart she was, how wonderful Maleficent saw how pure of heart Aurora was, that she thought, who better than to be the queen of the moors? Um, probably also acknowledging a little bit of her own emotional um, struggles and what she had done. Um, so now Aurora is queen of the Moors and she's been living there, taking care of everybody in Maleficent and Philip comes from his kingdom. Then I feel like I'm rambling now. (laughs) Yeah. So basically they want to get married and he goes back to his parents and tells them, I want to get married. At the same time, Aurora is they're they're both scared about it, but she goes and finds Maleficent and tells Maleficent we're gonna we're gonna get married, and mm-hmm. it's not a not a question. It's a, I'm doing this, and in both cases the parents I feel like were kind of taken aback, but the mother seemed stricken by it. But then she was like, okay, seems like a good idea. Let's do this, and then we'll have Maleficent for dinner. Yeah, huh, how about that? Because I think in the back of her mind, this is Michelle Pfeiffer's character. Um, she wanted to, to rule the Moors and she wanted to get rid of all the magical creatures and the magical people. So they come, the parents on both sides agree that they will allow this marriage and they will have Maleficent and Aurora to the kingdom, to the castle for dinner. And as the dinner progresses, you can, you can see the snippiness between uh, Queen Ingrith, who is Michelle Pfeiffer's character, and uh, Maleficent. They both start you know, kind of quipping at each other. They were, they were pretty, pretty brutal in their argument. And they, they got up and you can help me maybe with, with the details of the scene, but something happened and they were going to, they didn't, we're going to have a confrontation, but they got up and Aurora and Maleficent and Diaval were on one side and the King and Ingrid and Philip were on the other side. And all of a sudden the King goes down and the King is in, sleep mode he doesn't he says what did she do to me and it is assumed by the viewer and also because Ingrid shouts it out that Maleficent cursed him Maleficent cursed him just like he cursed she cursed Aurora in the first film he's he's in a sleep now which technically she did I guess technically she did we'll get into that um but the queen orders the guards to take the king to his bedchamber, and it's funny, there's, there's a moment where everyone tries to get Ingrid to give him a kiss, because true love's kiss is supposed to break the curse, and you could tell by looking at her, she's just like, 
Yeah. <laughs> she, she didn't want to do it. I don't know if it's cause, just because she didn't really truly love him or because he was in this sleeping state or, or what, but she, she was not into the idea. And then when she finally decided to do it, she went down and said something to him, like something kind of evil, like, and then gave him a little, little peck, like little, uh, you know, just a, yep, see, didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Which was interesting to me. Uh, and she basically takes over command of the kingdom at that point, right? Yeah. During all of this, Aurora kind of asks her to calm down without saying calm down, but that's essentially what she's wanting. And then she also tells her to undo the curse. Right. So she so sees... Aurora doesn't believe... She doesn't believe that Maleficent didn't do it. Right. Um, and so Maleficent's hurt even more from her daughter figure not having her side. And then Maleficent's calling her and saying, come on, let's go. We need to get out of here. And Aurora says, I'm staying. So Maleficent leaves. And as she's leaving, she's flying over some water. And Ingrid, Queen Ingrid's one of her minions, the little redheaded kid, girl, uh, little witch, like horrible character, uh, is at one of those crossbows, similar, I think, to what was in the boats that got the dragons in Game of Thrones, this crossbow, and it's armed with an iron arrow, which we didn't mention this, but iron is like sort of the one thing that could hurt Maleficent. It burns yeah, it's like her, her skin. Kryptonite. Right. Uh, so this iron arrow is shot, and Maleficent gets hit and goes down into the water. But she's rescued by another winged creature similar to her. And the winged creature takes her to this island with, which is filled with other winged creatures who we go on to learn are the, quote, dark fae. And they have their own sort of origin and history they go through and how they are distrusting of man. Queen Ingrid is searching for Maleficent or having all of her people try to find her to take her. And she's plotting to take all of the fairies and all the magical creatures somehow. She's, she's, she's got her own magical creature played by Warwick Davis who is making up like a potion that will basically kill these fairies and magical creatures. See, they learned that they have these things called tomb flowers. Tomb blooms. Tomb blooms that grow on top of the grave where in the moors where the fairies bury the dead. So the tomb blooms grow on the tomb and it's essentially the life essence or what's, you know, left of them as they go into the ground and become one with the earth. So they learn that they can harvest these flowers and mix it with iron, which is the phase weakness. Yes. And they can make basically instant death like an instant death powder. So that's what the queen f turns her focuses on. And her plan is to basically like mass genocide. All the fae yeah. get rid of them. Rid, rid herself and everybody of all of the fairies and magical people from the moor so that she can lead and control everything. Maleficent is with the dark fae as they're preparing. And Aurora is with um, Ingrid and the, the kingdom while they're preparing. She starts getting unsettled. She starts being controlled by the queen who wants to pick her wedding dress, who wants to tell her what to do, what not to do. She starts having a hard time being there, living under the, the sort of pressing thumb of the queen. 
Right. And ultimately, the queen decides that there is going to be a wedding, and this is her big plan to lure all of the fairies into the kingdom so that she can unleash this genocide, unleash this potion onto them. And all of the, uh, the fairies and the people from the moors, they come to the kingdom, and they're all put in first into the chapel, and at a certain point, I was, we both questioned this, like, wouldn't they be wondering where everyone else was? And at a certain point, I think they did, but the door was locked, all of the fairy people were in there, and all of a sudden, this same redheaded little horrible person is in there playing the organ, and there's one specific key on the organ where when she hits it, it sprays out this, this dust, which basically turns the fairies into dust, or... In the case of the uh, the big tree monsters, it basically just turns them into a tree. You know, no more life it's within them. Instant death. Yeah, it's instant death. So the dark fae, they they gather their creatures, and they come over to attack. They get hit with some iron and have to re rethink their attack plan. And the actual the leader of the dark fae goes down. Basically, he doesn't die immediately, but he's he's been hit enough that he's it's a detrimental blow. So they regroup and Bara is leading the troops and they go in for another swoop. And this is when the queen unleashes her dust bombs and the dust thing. And it's literally taking out these fairies or these, these fays in the middle of the sky, like, like it's nothing. And the battle ensues. Each side is losing people. Ultimately Maleficent. She shows up and she gets taken down though. Right. Uh, yeah, she goes head to head with the queen. The queen like threw one of those bombs at her. She went down because the queen shot at Aurora. Oh, that's right. And so she flipped and her she to flipped protect it her. That's right. And then got hit herself and then turned to dust. Right, and that was a very touching scene looking at the face mm-hmm. between the two of them. Aurora was devastated and started crying and her tears fell to the ground, which is what helped with the um, sort of being reborn that Maleficent yeah so did they the battle ensues a little bit but Aurora convinces Philip that her his mom was the one who actually cursed the father and the king mm-hmm. and uh, Philip ends up finally believing her and they save the fairies they the the, the fairies and the men the fae and the men realize what they're fighting about and they, they kind of stop and the queen is the one who is looked upon as the villain, which she rightfully was finally. And yeah, good triumphs over evil and Aurora and Philip end up marrying each other and ruling the Moors and the kingdom together in peace and harmony happily ever after. So with all that being said, I have some questions. How has it only been five years, but everyone turned on Maleficent? I think we talked about this a little bit, considering how fairy tales work and how retelling of things are. But to me, it just seems like five years is not that long. In that to have revisionist history. Yeah. What What do you think? I don't. I don't. Yeah. I think it's. You're right. It's not that long. But I would assume that most people didn't know she saved the day at the end of the last one. And maybe like, they didn't know the detail. They didn't know the detail. The this is a, a fairy tale, so it's hypothetical times, but it's a long time ago, right? Th- this was 
back in knights and shining armor kind of times. Right. And so there's no email. There's no cell phones. Word of mouth is how things go. And I, I just feel like the threat and the, and the curse itself traveled far and wide. It lasted 16 years of Where's the Princess? Her saving the day at the end of it probably just didn't travel that far. So I think people didn't necessarily revise the history or the story to, to hate on her at the beginning of Maleficent 2 so much as they maybe just also didn't know about it. Yeah, and with the the queen was probably, you know, spitting her vitriol against... She did say she was doing that. She was spreading the word. Yeah, so that probably had something to do with it. She was keeping the, keeping the bad going. So uh, we talked about this a little before the pod, and I liked your take on it. Is Maleficent emotionally unstable? And why? <laughs> so I think she doesn't have the emotional maturity that you might expect from an adult woman. I think that it's what happens or what can happen when her parents died and she was young. We don't know how young, but when we saw her in the first one, she was 12 at most. I didn't say 10, 11. Yeah. Right. And who knows at that point how long it had been. So when she's essentially raising herself, being the strongest of the fairies, the only one of her kind that she knew of for the majority of her life, She's not, doesn't have a coach or a mentor to teach her how to handle things that happen. She's also wasn't really exposed to many things happening against her until, not Philip, um, the king who took her wings. Stefan. Um, Stefan. And then Aurora potentially, you know, choosing Philip over her, all that stuff. Those those are two major things that kind of tested her, but she just didn't have the skills or the tools or the know-how. She had the lack of experience and mentorship to teach her how to cope or handle. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good take, and it, it it's true. I, I think if you grow up without parents who are there to guide you, like literal orphan who doesn't even have foster parents like we would have today or a system to take care of you, she was just growing up left to her own devices she probably doesn't know how to check her emotions or how to control herself when she's angry, you know. And I think that I think that was a was a wise take. So Aurora, this happened in the first movie too, when she got close to the spinning wheel. What is with her Jedi like visions or premonitions <laughs> surrounding that spinning wheel? Like I don't I I guess it was just a, a movie device or something. So Yeah, you're probably right. I didn't think about that before. I was going to say I don't have an answer, but I think you're right. It was a visual. It was the movie giving us a visual aid to see how she's connected or tied, or they sometimes they bonded, right, to to the spindle that cursed her to begin with, how there's going to forever be a connection. Yeah, I feel like in the first movie, it was, you could maybe describe it or write it off for the curse was calling her to the, the spinning wheel. Like the curse was like, was guiding her to it because mm-hmm. it had to happen. And like they had burned all the spinning wheels, but magically this one appeared. And, you know, but in the second one, it's it still like, seemed like she was being called to it. Yeah, but I, I guess because it's maybe the same spinning wheel, right? It was the same spinning wheel, the same curse, which is, which is, but you it, know. it showed her the vision of the father being stabbed by the but, queen. But this is where I think. What, to your point a moment ago, I think it might have just been the movie giving us the visual to see what she realized. I don't know that she actually had a premonition of it or, or, or not a premonition's future, right? But that she had a flashback or 
she was able to see what she couldn't see before. I think she just figured it out yeah, and the movie tried point, to show us. She found the spinning wheel in the queen's And that's when room. she had that vision. Yeah. Um, which she might not have had a vision. It just might have been a visual aid for us. So this movie was rated PG, which is usually supposed to be fairly tame in line of movies. I think because it's a Disney origin of one of their classic movies, they, they fought hard to make it a PG, but... Did you feel like it was a PG movie? Because to me, there was no. a lot of death and a lot of violence. No, I felt like it was violent. I don't know now. I feel like ratings are... Well, ratings... Ratings, you're supposed to be able to trust them. If you had a child, if you had, had a kid who was five or six years old and you took them to see this movie, would you be okay with it? Or would you be like, eh? I don't know. I think if I had a kid, I'd been... I'd be going through all kinds of movies all the time and I'd have a better feel of where my boundaries were for that. Yeah. But I know that if I took my nephew to this movie when he was five and all the violence kicked in when they were battling in war, I probably would have had the thought of, oh no. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it, there wasn't blood and gore, but the fairies, like, it was genocide. Yeah, they it, were they were dying. They were dying. They were turning to dust in the air and dying, and they were showing it, and they were killing people. One of the and, fairies even sacrificed herself at a certain point. Remember that? Well, more than one, because Maleficent ended up doing it too. Yeah. But And even to start, the, the guy who's creating the powder to begin with, he holds one up. He's keeping them as prisoners, and he pulls one, a little dandelion fairy creature thing out and holds it basically it can't move it's like pinned down or pinned in his thing and he just straight kills it right then and there in front of everybody and so i yeah it was it felt violent even without the gore yeah violent for a children's film so i have written down here who are the good guys because in my mind both sides that were fighting like the good guys to me were the people on the moors or the fairies or whatever but at the same time, the soldiers were just doing what their queen asked them to do. And then the Fae were fighting for generations of being isolated and all of this stuff that had worked, worked upon them forever and ever. So they, they felt justified. Both sides felt justified in their cause. And whoever you are a fan of, I suppose, is the, the side you root for. But I feel like both sides were pretty brutal. We talked about the death of the fairies, but there was definitely violence against the knights and things there. I don't know that we saw any bloody, you know, heads being chopped off or bloody swords or anything like no. that, but but there was like the fairies were, were picking them off, like or the fae were running down grabbing them and throwing them and stuff. Like there was there was stuff happening. So, was there a good side, quote unquote? Yeah, but I don't think it was the good side between the battle that we saw. The 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 black and white battle of the fae versus the palace i think the good side was the young generation of philip and aurora against the older mentality and thought process of of both sides of both sides yeah i think that's Um, a good take yeah so that's to me where the good side came in it was it was philip and aurora the younger generation the younger generation saying it doesn't have to be this way let's do it different right yeah so, uh, again, Angelina Jolie was the main character, headlining actress of this film. I do feel like there were more secondary roles in this and that Aurora had a bigger part. Philip mm-hmm. obviously had a bigger part. But who was your favorite non-Maleficent character? 
I like, well, I still like the Raven. I think he did good. It just wasn't as big of a part. But I liked, uh, I keep wanting to say Pippin. Pinto. Pinto, yes. Pinto was cool. He Pinto. was a little CG she, character. It was, a, it was a little girl. She didn't even have a huge role. It wasn't huge, but it was big enough. She started and she ended and she got captured at one point, you know, but she was really cute. She's like a little hedgehog type something. Yeah, it did sort of seem Sonic-esque. But the, the she look. wasn't blue. She was brown. Yeah. So my favorite character other than Maleficent is someone that I love to hate. And I thought she did a good job, and that was Queen Ingrid, Michelle Pfeiffer. I oh. thought, you know, she was, she was a, she was, bad, evil. bad times. You know, yeah. She was evil, and I think it was believable mm-hmm. to me, like that she was really this conniving and this wicked of a person. So I, I'm going with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Queen Ingrid in that role. I would say she was a bigger villain than Maleficent ever was. Absolutely. I agree with that. Because she was an adult that was raised with parents that, well, Maleficent was an adult too, but she was raised with parents to have, you know, more emotional maturity. And she, she schemed, she planned, she betrayed, she did all of that for, to kill everything. Where I think Maleficent. Knowingly. Knowingly. uh, Maleficent was always in reaction to something that happened horrible, something horrible that happened. And there was a good side to Maleficent, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure there was a good side to Queen Ingrid. No. She tried to say there was. This was all to protect everybody, but no. Yeah. That was only because she was losing. So the big question, is this movie good? <laughs> yeah, this is good. I didn't, I, yeah, it was good. It, it was good, I think, also. It was a nice continuation of the story i don't know that the story needed a continuation or a sequel but since they made one it wasn't horrible it was pretty good it was it was visually entertaining it wasn't Uh, as good as the first one it wasn't i I think from a a script or a story standpoint i don't think it was as good as the first one at all but i think special effects and such well those were good you know i didn't think twice about any of them right they were better i think in the second one the first one was a little CG heavy, and I didn't buy it all. But like when the people were turning to dust, and even just the, like the tree people, everything like it was a lot more, in my mind, visually believable. Mm-hmm. So I would say yes, it's a good movie. Final question: scale from one to ten, one being the worst, ten being the best. It's a seven. I think this is just one notch below the last one, with the first one of an eight. It's a seven. That's what I believe I ranked the first one, right? Yeah, Seven. We're not talking about your ratings. We're talking about mine. <laughs> okay. What, what? So on that theory, I would th- I would think you're going to rate this a six. Well, I was thinking about that, and I don't know. You know, are we ever? It'll be funny if we ever rank a movie like a two or a three. You know, I, I think that would be interesting. This like, wasn't a two. Or no, no, certainly not. Um, I'm just thinking. Theoretically, if we ever get to that point, like what movie would we sit through? It would be like that. But I'm going to go with a 6.5. Really? Because <laughs> I, I feel like a 6 maybe makes it seem like it wasn't good. And I think it was pretty good, especially, like I say, visually and the war scene at the end. Whereas the plot was 
was up and down. Like I liked the plot, but it was a little bit plotting in the middle with the Faye stuff. But the ending visual battle scene, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed how they went across and, and did that. And because you only rated the first one a seven, you can't really just go a six. I, we did talk about this before too, where to me, a six is like a meh downward, like fine, but maybe not. And then a seven kind of puts you in the meh, like upward. Yeah, that's good. Watch it. Check it out. So I can yeah. see that even in my own rating, how you did that. <laughs> 6.5 for Maleficent 2, 7 for Maleficent 1. I would say they're both watchable and worth seeing if you haven't seen, especially if you're into Disney films or fantasy films. I didn't mention that. That was one of the things I liked about both films was if you're into The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and stuff like that, like this is sort of right in those world of fantasy, you know, which was nice. Any final thoughts on the Maleficent movies? No, I think I think they have as much to offer as you also want to take from them. You know, thinking about your point of, I don't remember exactly what you said, they just didn't have as much message or as much to think about as you maybe would like in a movie. What, yeah. what the, did you say? They were good popcorn movies, which is like movies you don't have to go into to, to you know, overanalyze. Which I think that we've talked about is one of my favorite things about young adult movies is that the messages are there, they're clear, and you don't have to think about them. But I think you can and you can find deeper messages. Yeah. And I do think the same is true with both of these. Um, I think that you can take them for surface level and have great takeaways and great messages and lessons that you can learn or that your children can learn from them or that you can just recognize even if you're not learning. Uh, but you can also step back and think about them more and, and take even deeper messages away from them and um, contemplate, you know, just the the multi-faceted I don't know, that's not the word I'm looking for, but the depth within an individual in making the decisions and choices and uh, kind of the internal dialogue that people go through. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to wrap it up. Um, I agree with pretty much all that sentiment. The, the story can be surface level, but you can dig a little deeper if you want to, mm -hmm. if you feel the need to. And like I say, I think they're good popcorn movies. If you just want a fun movie to watch on a Friday night when you're sitting at home sheltering in place, it's a good, good option. Yeah, they were fun. All right. So that'll do it for this experimental episode of All the Things with Joel One. I want to thank Aaron Brock for coming back on the pod. Is there anything you want to say or promote? before we go today nope thank you thank you for having me <laughs> you're welcome uh you can check me out on my website www.joel1.com or on instagram and oh yeah thank you to aaron for making that great logo that yeah, i still haven't good. really put into into action yet but i've got some ideas for it and it's a great little caricature of my face and i really like it yeah. all right everyone thanks for listening